Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah! Ancien maillot jaune du Tour de France, ancien maillot rose d'Italie, ancien maillot rouge du Vuelta à Espagne. David Millard, ça va Ça va très bien, merci, uh, Monsieur Bolting. Um, on est bien ici. What was it like being introduced? What was it like being introduced by Daniel Monjas? I mean, uh, how many times must that have happened to you in your career, David? Hundreds, literally hundreds, hundreds. literally hundreds. You know what? The, <laughs> it was one of the and. People probably trolls will hit off on this, but he never stopped call me, calling me world champion. Yeah. He, so you'd was that awkward? Choose. Did you ever want to, you know, uh, have a little word with yeah, him, take him to no, one no, side? I, so I, I might... spoke to him about it, and he was like, "No, I'll always call you world champion." So, and it was just that was Monjas, you know. He was, he was the. It's just he, and what's brilliant about that is if um, any of the big cycling full-on geeks here have watched A Sunday in Hell, the Jürgen Lett film. Uh, sure, many people have, yeah. And Daniel Monjas, that was the first time he ever emceed at a big race. And ah, so you hear him there. So my career was long enough to bridge that kind of, that time frame to coming in when he was at his peak to then him leaving. And he invited me to his, uh, his criterion that wow. he organized in Brittany to his, as his thank you to all the riders. Is he actually Breton, Daniel? Is he from yeah. Brittany, do you think? Uh, yeah, he is, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 he is. Yeah, yeah. I think, think he is, yeah. Probably oh, that's really interesting because I remember, remember writing in 101 Damnations, I wrote about um, Monjas's debut as a speaker on the Tour de France, which is obviously different from what you're talking about, Paris-Roubaix, which must have come the following year or something because it was the, it was the stay of Raymond Poulidor's last victory um, at the tour, which was on the top of saint levi soulon in the Pyrenees. He dropped Eddie Merckx and rode away. Um, and uh, I asked, the reason that arose was I asked Raymond Poulidor uh, to remember that day. And I was actually having a cup of coffee with him at the top of saint levi soulon So it seemed entirely relevant. And in fact, I think it might have even been an anniversary. It might be 1974 or something. So, um, but he just kind of didn't want to talk about it, brushed it off. And he said, he said to me, no, no, this is Poulidor speaking. He said, the most important thing that happened that day was the car in which the speaker of the Tour de France was being transported to the finish line broke down. And so they had to find from somewhere a replacement. And it happened to be Daniel Monjas. And that's no. how the legend all began. Yeah, yeah. Love that legend. Love that legend. Long may it last. Um, uh, we, that, we've gone into this with this podcast david as ever with a tangential kind of a plan a bit of a, mm -hmm. a bit of an outline of a plan yeah but no actual plan it's a little um, bit of a live plan isn't it it's a developing situation as so much is in the world um but there's one thing before we definitely wanted to talk about bookshelves because that seems hugely relevant to both of our lives and the way the world is communicating but there's one th one actually newsy kind of cycling -y thing that i wanted to ask you about david 
because I wonder if you've heard anything on the grapevine, your sister being who she is, etc. Mm. Um, and that is, and even if you haven't heard anything, what do you think about this whole little froom dog situation about have you read about that about some you know what i did see that and it's because i do Ah. do a little kind of little catch up every day of headlines and i did see that and it makes perfect sense at a negotiational level that the agent (laughs) would plant that seed out there and for sure there are a couple of teams that would show interest but no team uh, to kind of match the salary very few teams in the world could do it but on top of that salary, uh, there is a, there are a huge amount of there are there's probably s- seven figure uh, requirements around the resources he requires to actually. Yeah, true. So there's I don't I can't see how there are even two teams that have the budget to do that and the and the actual uh, the skill set and the people and the experience to fulfil the requirements he will need to win the Tour de France. So I think it's a gameplay. I think it's an interesting agent gameplay. I can't see how it's based in reality. Thing thing is, though, Sky... I knew Sky... No, I did say Sky. Ineos, because I went... Like I told you, I went to see him in um, Gran Canaria back in January. And there was an unusual degree of, um, I felt, uh, kind of almost... What's the word? Sentimentality isn't the right word, but um, the investment that Ineos were putting behind Froome's putative recovery from these extraordinary injuries was um, almost out of step with the realistic prospect of them yielding much, you know. Mm. So, in other words, they were really giving him everything in terms of uh, his chances of of recovery. But I, I, I must admit, I left that meeting feeling... It feels like they are they are doffing their cap and paying their respects to a departing champion. Now, of course, you know if anyone can prove that wrong, it's Chris Froome. But I do wonder whether he has picked up on um, the mood music. That, uh, who knows whether the tour will happen? But assuming it does, the, the mood music that perhaps um, he's not going to be part of the Tour de France team come what may. And if that's the case, then it becomes a bit more, doesn't it, than just an agent gameplay? It becomes kind of existential in terms well, of what he wants to achieve. It does. It becomes. Uh, I fall into the trap, and I think every professional athlete falls into that trap of uh, you judge your worth by the uh, uh, monetary proposition, <laughs> and so you don't. Like actually, podcasting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> huge, huge, <laughs> huge returns. Um, uh, it's that idea where your ego can get very easily um, massaged by how much you're offered and it, it becomes more of a it, you lose track of reality and I think if you look at the actual kind of real worth of Chris Froome right now taking apart the legacy and you, the thing that Ineos yep. and Brailsford and any great business would do is they look at your the the absolute kind of value you have to them what are the what is what can you do what do we have how do you fit into that now if he's been on such and such money and they're offering half he'd take that as a you don't believe me anymore uh whereas actually no that's what you're worth because we've got two tour de france winners who've won it after you and we kind of need to keep doing this Uh, uh, and then you might find yourself well actually no 
in order to fuel my ego and what I I am worth, I will go to this team that will pay me that money, but then they can't do everything else around it and you'll never win the Tour de France again. And mm. as you see it with athlete after athlete, they do it. They judge their, their value on what somebody's willing to pay them. And it's, uh, I can say now in hindsight, it's the worst thing you'll ever do because what they're offering you is what you're worth. And then you will then then you'll have a great agent to, who will put the clauses in to get the bonuses and you'll get it back and you'll make it but if you're arguing kind of what you the value then you're in a losing battle and it all goes pear-shaped very quickly fascinating that's quite enough cycling though isn't it yeah. i think yeah yeah there we go let's move on <laughs> <laughs> um well, you, you failed in you failed in the first. Um, we left off with you confidently saying that you'd set me some questions, uh, and we'd have another quiz, another round of the highly successful quiz that people enjoyed last time. But you just didn't do anything about it. So that's, no, I didn't. That's okay. I, I and thought also, about it, and then I thought I just don't know how to do a quiz. You just uh, you write some questions, and you ask them, mm. and if the person says the right answer, you say, "Well done." Anyway, I'm quite I'm quite relieved actually, David, because um, I don't know how that might have gone. <laughs> I suddenly thought I actually put you in quite a difficult place last time with a quiz, and, and well, I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know which way to go. Whether to go just on bike racing and just delve oh, in. Oh no, that would have been bad. Or to bad. just go left field and go on. None of it was going to end Chateaus. up being pretty. And I put here the books: How to Read Castles, How to Read Churches. Oh yeah? yeah, oh yeah. There you go. Wait, you can't yeah, unread. Yeah. No, so, I got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's um, yeah, they're there above. The yeah, they look pretty pristine, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the whole of my kind of research for the Tour de France is right here in those four books. It's right there. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Castles, cathedrals, and two editions of the roadbook. Um, so we thought anyway. We thought and. Um, I think it's a really good idea. I th- we thought we'd jump on the bookshelf bandwagon a bit, didn't we? Because um, there's a lot of feng shui to analyse and a lot of content in the mm. printed matter on display in both of our Zoom headshots. Yeah. You are in your little office area, right? Yeah. In, and, and that is, yeah. So you've got yeah. your bits and pieces there. And it's what, like, because it, it's, what, what have it you kind got? of goes on. Like, ooh, it's sort yeah. of everywhere. Kind this of pleases is, me that you're not. Kind of pleases me, David, that you're not averse to um, the the big crime that both of us are guilty of here of stacking books horizontally because you've run out of space. So just ah, oh, yeah. that'll do. Just stick it there. I'm quite surprised you do that because mm. I've seen you almost almost been cast into a sulk for the rest of the day because I hadn't lined up the seams on my bib shorts properly. Mm. So I'm quite surprised to see you that slapdash with your book arrangement. Yeah, well, I've started. To, I've, I, I kind of did i got slapdash and a lot of it's quite slapdash i'm going to start double i'm going to clear it off because nicole hates my my junk because <laughs> there's a actually there's a great book which I, I should actually find as i'm referencing and this is how this conversation go called the memory palace and it's yeah. this idea that um these kind of things that we keep they they become trigger points for our memory uh, they become, they're not necessarily, they, it can, you've got to be careful that it doesn't verge into kleptomania, but it's this <laughs> idea. 
<laughs> but it's this idea that kind of all these little things, it, you can see it, you can touch it, and you have it, and you'll always remember where that happened and what. Don't go. Don't go away. About. Keep talking. Keep talking. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna see if that works. Actually, I'm gonna give you an active. Right. Okay. Yeah. Here, David. Here. Oh, see, there you go. So that's from the Tour de France in 20, that's last year, isn't it? 2019, little music box. Yeah, yeah it's not, it's 2018 actually, 2018. but which cathedral, where did I buy it? Where did I buy it? It was in, um, it was down southwest. Um, it's, oh no, no, it wasn't, it was Cathedral Chartres. No, no, it wasn't, it was up yeah. in Chartres. Yeah. La Vie en Rose. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Edith Piaf. This is yeah. one of my favourite things in the world. I just, for obvious reasons, I just rewrote my will. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it occurred to me when I got to the, you know, which itemised things in your house would you like to kind of like leave to anyone? I left it blank. But now I might revisit it again, David. And if the worst happens to me, mate, that's coming your way. Okay. Oh, thanks, Ned. I'll treasure it. I'll go on the bookshelf. My children... My children haven't got a thing, but you're getting that. So there you go. Beautiful. Um, Love that. Um, but so, so, so it's this idea of the memory palace. Yeah, so the on. books. And so I was saying to the uh, the boys and Maxine, a little girl, comes in here. Because I spend most of my time in here now and have a genuine excuse to do so because of uh, the work from home thing and all these different things. And I explained that every single uh, book, because I asked about the books, and I said, well, you have to understand that every single spine is a universe. It's a world. It's a, it's a little, it's its own place that you can disappear into. And each one of them has memories, has stories. And it's not only, the reason I've always kept them and, and kept the spines so, I'm, I'm one of those opposite to you, Ned. I, I try to not crack spines. And oh, so if I... No. They're there I'm to totally, be cracked. I totally yeah, disagree. And I'm, and I'm totally fine with, I give people books, share people books, but I give it to them, I don't expect it back. I'll replace it. <laughs> it's like, because you're going to ruin it. And it's, yeah. But every single one of the books yeah. has a kind of place and a time. And I think that's very important yeah. to kind of have. Yeah. So that's my... Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I've done it. So what you got? Here. Come on, t- tell us, what, what have you got? Do you want to kick us off with a, a little kind of what you've okay, got on the shelves? Have you picked so out I'll any... So you off here. So this is quite a... Yep. So this is actually all these white books. Is a publisher called Picador who... Oh, yeah. I know all about yeah. Picador. So Picador, in the uh, late 1990s, early 2000s, and there's a lot of things about um, the fact of my career in professional cycling. Uh, it was right place, wrong time, and all these different things. The thing about the wrong time also meant that we didn't have social media, so I read books, and I, which was one of the greatest things about being a professional cyclist back then, because there wasn't anything to get lost into. There was barely internet and all these different things. So I just sure. read book after book after book. And I got into the degree where I would uh, base them on the publishers. And because I'm, I like, and you'd find Picadors in airports back then. And so, and you could always trust them. They weren't crappy, kind of shitty uh, books. So I'd always look for the Picador spines, the white spines. And so all of these are kind of, uh, they're modern. Uh, a lot of it's what you call, I guess, modern literature. And I got into this, this so much sums up my early, uh, my kind of late teens, my early professional career was, was Cormac McCarthy, read all his books, and they're very dark. If anybody knows about Cormac McCarthy, they're amazing books. 
Um, the road, about, yeah. Uh, yeah, the road. But before that, yeah. they all, all did about the Wild West, um, like the Deep West, uh, about uh, when the... Uh, and it's horrible about marauding about people babies heads getting smashed and all these different things oh yeah yeah the, i'm just i'm looking up because i've i've got one up there somewhere that isn't the road and i can't remember what it's called yeah but anyway, I, do, I do i do very if you're gonna ever read cities any, of the plane cities, cities of, the plane. of the plane but this is the one yeah. actually if you're ever going to read cormac mccarthy in one book it's this one blood meridian or the evening redness oh, yeah? in the west it's the ultimate book about the wild west and Brilliant. actually, I then went, and it's and the other books, all the pretty horses. But this one is a character in it because some books, the, the best books, leave you with traces not only of the story but a, a principal character. And there's a character in this book. I should just remember this now, called the Judge, and he's terrifying. And it's just, <laughs> but it is almost. I think he he, he kind of creates this almost. Um, he's almost like a, a, the devil incarnate. That keeps appearing. It sounds a bit like places. our director on the Tour de France. A little bit like that. Similar kind of. Yeah, like that, very yeah. much so. So, Comet McCarthy, <laughs> and they've got John Banville. And here you go. Oh, so, Mark Lawson, that's good. And actually, just because I was looking just before and I saw it here. Here you go. This is one of my kind of. This is an amazing book. And this came because this is. And you have it with Fitz Carraldo, don't you? As a Fitz Carraldo yeah, as a publisher. Big time. Yep. You kind of get yep. stuck into publishers for a while, and I always have yep. that. I do authors, get stuck into that, then publishers. But this is Could one you say, that... before you, bef- David, before you tell us about that book, um, just before you leave Picador alone, mm. um, my friend uh, has just left uh, after a good few years as the editor at Picador, Paul oh, Bagley. Wow. And um, he lives just up the road. We go around occasionally for dinner. Whenever, we, whenever I come back from his house, he loads me up with review copies of the new newest stuff, or just stuff that he knows I'd like. And almost without fail, his, I mean, he's the guy who commissions the writers and buys the books. Oh, wow. His taste that, over the last few years has been completely impeccable. So I, can, I totally agree with you about Picador. I think they're an amazing publisher. Yeah, it was, anyway, it was always, yeah. they're also pure. And it's oddly, um, and this is always the weird thing as well with books, because I liked the White Spines. And then I think around 2008, 2005 maybe they stopped doing they started to phase out the white spines yeah and then i yeah. it, and then oddly it lost, lost the magic for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then I'm that's the, that, so, yeah. so this is one of the books that then transferred john lanchester found him with picador but then he's this is faber faber so fragrant harbor is um this is a beautiful book it's uh, fragrant harbor is the the chinese uh, uh translation of hong kong so that's what hong kong okay. means hong kong means fragrant harbor and this is one of those crazy books which jumps 150 years of time. And it's got just an amazing kind of build up and twist to it. And I learned more about Hong Kong in this book than I had from living there in five years. So that's the power of books. Fantastic. You can read a, a historical Fantastic. fiction and you end up knowing more about something than you ever would have done by actually studying it or living there or anything else. So recommend that. John yep. Lanchester, Fragrant Harbour. So there you go. There's two books so far today. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. So you mentioned Fitzcarraldo, David. And mm. so let me just, I'm, I've got to take my microphone over here. So bear with me. But hold on, just put it down. Uh. <laughs> yeah, see? Same cut. So it's like Picador. You have all the same color. So the pub, the publisher that, becomes... That's exactly right. So the publisher becomes, it becomes a style. Uh, you have an anticipation expectation that they will deliver 
a certain and kind that's of... A, and they do. And Fitzcarraldo are exactly the same. You're dead right. And just like you've said about Fragrant Harbour, one of the lockdown books that I've been reading is this by uh, Matthias Ennard called Tell Them of Battles, Tell Them of Battles, Kings and Elephants. And it tells the story of um, the bridge that was uh, only partially built because they started it and then it got washed away in an earthquake, I think, in Con- what used to be Constantinople, a bridge over the Bosphorus that was commissioned to be built by Michelangelo. And um, he, f- he went there and he lived in, um, the, uh, in, in the centre of Constantinople for a couple of years trying to design this impossible bridge um, because he was, uh, uh, he'd fallen out with the Pope over the design of the Pope's um, sepulchre, the tomb and everything, and uh, there were unpaid bills and all that sort of thing. He stormed off to basically the opposing religion in Constantinople to work for the opposition and build this amazing bridge, which he failed to do. And um, I kind of learnt more about Constantinople and the clash of, you know, um, the Ottoman Empire and the Vatican uh, in particular uh, um, than I... I'd ever, ever known. It's a, it's a work of fiction. It's absolutely brilliant. So there you go. Actually, on that, regards to Ottoman, if, I don't think I'll be able to find it here quickly. Um, there's a book called Samarkand. Ah, what's it? Uh, but it's a brilliant book, and it's about, um, obviously, Samarkand, but it's about uh, Omar, uh, Omar Khayyam, the Rubaiyat. Yep. And it gives you, paints this picture of uh, what we would now refer to as the Middle East, um, yep, and it's stunning. It's in this time; it's a thousand years ago, and it's just phenomenal how wonderfully it's written. And you learn so much about how advanced they were compared yeah, to yeah. what we now in the West we consider ourselves to be the pioneers of of society and culture, and the the people who have always been ahead of everybody. So. Here's another lockdown book. Here's another, where is it, where is it, where is it? Here, this one, the Booker Prize, I think, or the Nobel Prize. Um, Ivo Andrich, The Bridge Over the Drina. Uh, many people would have read that. Same story, David. This is bouncing around with a huge amount of synergy, I have to say, because, and this is unscripted and unplanned. That tells a story. It's a country I'm really interested in at the moment is Bosnia, which is the only European country with an indigenous, uh, if you like, uh, Muslim population, the, the, the leftovers of the high tide of the Ottoman Empire, and of course, centuries old, the um, Islamic tradition in Bosnia. But that tells a story of a bridge over the Drina River in Visegrad, which actually really exists. Hmm. And latterly was the scene of horrible, horrible um, massacres during the um, Bosnian War in the early 90s. But that tells the story of its uh, its construction under the Ottoman Empire and then hundreds of years of history imagined as um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire came and went and the Ottoman Empire fought back and everything. It's absolutely brilliant book. So, well, do yeah. I find the name of the Samarkand book is it's written by Amin Malouf and uh, we, should put all oh, these in the, in, we should put all these in the um, show notes, Ned. In the show notes? Let's yeah, do it. So Let's you do can it. actually kind of link to all these different books. Have you read any books about cycling? <laughs> Yeah, I have. I can. I put some of them here, and I got yours. And you know, I was just gutted about. I couldn't find it. It Was my first ever the book that I first ever read, and I'm terrified that I've lent it to somebody, which I shouldn't have done. Eddie Borshwitz. What cycling book? It was cycling book. It was called Road Racing uh, Training and Technique or something. It was brilliant. Yeah, and it's by it's Eddie B. quite a controversial figure. It was a Polish um, coach who went to the States who wrote this book. And when I was uh, 15, 
so I got into road racing from Hong Kong and but I didn't know anything about it didn't have any family or friends didn't knew anything about it so my mum bought me this book she went to a bookshop and did some research my mum's super into book her bookshelves are like this times five um and I read that and I kept losing races because I didn't know how to do it and I read yeah. that book uh in one day and I won the next day I won the, my first race it was the High Wycombe that's seat. amazing actually, actually look that that's not deliberate actually that's always there that's my first ever trophy look and at that's, that that's what? uh that's 1993 is that a time uh, trial david is that, that the was, high no, Wycombe 10 or something chilton cup it was a high Wycombe chilton cc it was a proper, it was a proper, proper race. race yeah yeah i built all Whoa. i beat all the best uh juniors in the uk and it was and and i had this whole, everyone was racing against me i won the, all the classifications that day in that race and and here's how crazy i was i then finished the race and then i i went and did another lap just to train to get ready for the next races it was like, yeah, <laughs> I was a full psychopath. But it's, I learned from that book, and that's for the power of books. It taught me how to race, and I took it all from that book, and then I started applying it, and immediately it started working. And then from there, so the cycling books, I got, I got loads. So if we've got those ones there, your ones, and then I put the books, Ooh, so I just picked yeah. them up. All these are cycling books. All those are cycling books. Um, and I suppose uh, it's quite weird, actually, Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to digress because this is a cycling book, and this is what somebody gave to me very recently, which you'll appreciate. And because I had all those books uh, in the local bike shop in uh, in Eat Sleep Cycle in yeah. Drona, I'd put them there, and they all have. I even put kind of property of chapter three and got my name in them, take care of them. So I, I wanted people to read them, and so uh, there was a guy here, a Canadian guy called Ramsey, who would keep borrowing them, and. Uh, he ended up uh, leaving me as a gift. Hang on, I'm just going to put this down when I get this on. Uh, I'll just commentate what David's doing now because you yeah. probably won't hear this on the podcast. He's yeah. dropped his microphone and he's, he's turned back now. He seems to be se- searching desperately <laughs> to try and oh, find something in this. And he's found it, he's located it, and he's coming back to go. his microphone, I think. Oh, it's an envelope yeah. that's being opened. So and, uh, it's. Yep. Philip. Bordas, four sons, okay. it's in French. But what's amazing is this gentleman has been a listener of our podcast. And when we were building the lexicon of kind of what the language is, he's gone through oh, yeah. and written pages and pages of French and lexicon pages. and pages and pages. Oh, what? That really is. That's a lot. And pages. <laughs> and pages. And this wow. is these Hang are on. things. These are things I don't even know about. So basically, is, why? I mean, David. For, for those of you not watching the video of this, David is literally. That's at least ten pages. He's held up, double-sided in small handwriting of what cycling terminology. That's cycling. That's cycling up. terminology from an old French from old French books. That and is, especially but not made up. Is that proper not made, stuff? No, no, this is, is not actually, made up. No, it's, no, it's all proper stuff. stuff. Wow. All proper stuff. Yes, and he's, Mate, he gave me his card. David, so. that, is a, that is a resource. You need to that get that a, type I know, well, I'll share it to you and it's a, we'll, look, we'll look through it all. 
But yeah, so this if is we're the commentating you... on the Tour de France, will you please bring that along with you because that could, you know, one of the long flat stages that could oh, save it, us a good it's hour. It's a game changer. We'll so I'm sure um, <laughs> we'll have Ramsey. will be listening to some Ramsey. I haven't thanked you properly, and I will do this. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's for real, and we're going to use it. And so again, that's just one of those things. But there are all these books, and we stumble across them at the Tour de France. Sometimes we go Always. by random bookshops, local, local, local little bookshops, because wherever the tour goes. Um, the local independent bookshop, and there is always one on the high street. He'll have at least one window will be dedicated to the tour, won't it? And yeah. and very often there'll be like a hardback, crappy book, a hundred years of the tour or something in pictures, which you just ignore. But there'll be this local gem from some sort of like partially remembered star of the region or something that, Completely. and that's the stuff to look out for, isn't it? Or a beautiful yeah. comic book or something like that. So yeah, it's. Uh... I pick, I picked up on last year's tour. I picked up that book, Maillot Noir, Maillot Noir, which is. Which is a collection of short stories, all based on all based on it's absolutely bonkers a a stage in 2015 that actually finished up the Mur de Bretagne, and I think it was a stage that um, VMOs won, huh. and and eleven or so twelve writers have been asked to reimagine that stage and tell a fictional narrative about it. Oh. Brilliant. And it's just, it's a, honestly, it's a brilliant book, so I'll bring that on the tour next time. That's a great that's a you know, example. That, that I do, you're not yeah. going to get that in the Rafa bookshop, you know? No, no, you're not going to get kind of any... Um, I, actually, I, I've got one. Actually, what we'll do is, because we'll, this won't be the first time we do this, I, I've got the most beautiful children's well, book about road cycling. It's definitely the first time. It, it might not be the last time. Although, yeah. on the other hand, it might be the last time. It might be the last time, <laughs> depending on the success of this first on time. On how it goes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's face it. We're not judging our content on reading on on viewership, listenership, are we? It's just personal. there's very little yeah. there's very little market research yeah. that goes into never straight far. But but I mean, and I think what so this is just to kind of digress slightly off that and kind of give a bit of context to this. What you and I have discussed about this about cycling, its innate ability to to uh, fuel literature and. There are very few other sports that can do it. Um, we know football is huge because of just the, the shit audience in the UK, but cricket has that ability. And in the States, yeah. you have baseball and boxing and cycling. So yeah. actually kind of in the, in the annals of kind of sports literature, you have boxing, cricket, and actually cycling, which are considered to be the kind of the, the top. Uh, why do you think that is? Um, ah, God, you caught me on the hop there. I I mean, I can't answer that. I can't answer that because the origins of cycling are, in many ways, in terms of the people who ended up doing it, are no different from all those sports you've mentioned. You know, it's it's, um, sons of the earth and and working class uh, uh, people looking for for a way out. Um, Why it should so happen that their biographies throw up such a depth and a texture um, so often. I was just thinking that the other day when I was reading a little bit more about Eugene Christophe, mm. who, of course, famously was the fellow who got penalised by the by the tour organisation for getting help with the bellows in the blacksmiths when he was mending his forks on that crash of the tourmalet. I hadn't realised that um, <laughs> there were two other instances in his Tour de France career where his forks broke. <laughs> <laughs> in kind of ra- potentially race-winning situations as well, you know. That's just a little footnote in his astonishing yeah, yeah. story. And, and um, he was the first yellow jersey just as seems... well, wasn't he? The end of yes, the yeah. he was. Yeah. He was. You're absolutely right. Like I mean, so... Or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't know, don't, 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 yeah. don't, 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 but no, I think it's 1916 or something like that, actually. Let's see, there you go. I see. Ah. Tried to do a date, <laughs> you said, did it. Don't do dates. <laughs> anyway, I don't know the answer to that, David. I mean, I like, I romanticize it. So, ah, now, which brings me on to, which brings me actually quite nicely on, and I'll, this, is, this is actually relevant to the point you've just raised, Rendolero's Masterpiece. Oh, yes. Can I talk to you about it? Yes, please. Okay, I'm just walking back to Collect Colombia Espacion, which uh, just came out a couple of weeks ago. This is Matt's best book, and yeah, he's it. written some wow, he's written stonking some books. books. Yeah, he's written some stonking books, Matt Rendell, as you as you very well know. Um, I've been I feel like I've been with him every step of the way on this book over the last couple of years as he's been putting it together. But it is the result of decades of knowing and understanding Colombia. Um, he tells a story of the current generation, really. Uh, you know, not not just the headline act of Nairo Quintana, Rigoberto Uran, Esteban Chavez and um and uh, Egan Bernal but also the, those other riders who've made their mark in various different ways Darwin Atapuma being one of them Yarlinson Pantano um uh, Alvaro Hodge people like that so they all get a mention there's not a Colombian rider who doesn't and he sets it into context magnificently um the historical context what was going on at the time that most of this generation were being born and in their youth their early years in terms of the chaos that was engulfing Colombia um and also he sinks deep into the ethnography of Colombia and a lot of these riders' uh, uh, um, relationship with their own um, ethnic identity and historical identity, and in particular in Naira Quintana's case, the Musca identity. But the thing is, Matt is not wrong about any of this stuff. He's absolutely right about it, but he feels it with an intensity that um, probably the riders don't and can't articulate. So Matt does it for them. It's not that it doesn't exist. And knowing Matt and loving him as I do, um, quite early on, there's this, there's this little exchange between him and Nairo where he says, during one of our interviews, I commented, Nairo, I could do, shall I do a Rendell impression? Yeah, yeah, go for it. During one of our interviews, I commented, Nairo, you're like America. So many people say they have discovered you. Right? <laughs> Brilliant. He said straightforwardly, there were a lot of people involved. <laughs> Which I absolutely love because Matt's, Matt's right. He's got a great point. But Nairo wasn't really going to kind of indulge him. Yeah. Um, Quintana is the kind of central pivot through this whole story, um, which gets more, more and more remarkable. Um, none more remarkable than the, the story Matt gets to the heart of. And I'll just leave this as a little taste of how serious this book is as well, of the murder of uh, Rigoberto Uran's father, um, who was out for a bike ride with a friend when he was stopped on the road by some gangsters, basically cattle rustlers um, in this time where Colombia was basically ungovernable. Um, him and his friend were taken away from the rest of the other uh, riders they were going with. And then Matt writes this. On the hillside, the gunman told JL, his friend, to go on ahead and not look back. Behind him, Rigoberto Uran, that's his father, he, he had the same name, behind him, Rigoberto Uran, was taken to the bank of the Pendarisco River, which flows into the valley from the hills behind Quebradona. A gun was put to his head, and moments later, his body, lifeless, folded into the water. The murderers then disappeared into the landscape with the cattle. 
Understandably, Rigoberto had few words for me about the death of his father. He died when I was 15 and it was hard because I had no study, work and train, all three. But when you put your mind to it, you can do anything. And uh, then Matt goes off in search of, literally goes off in search of Uran's killers. Hmm. Wow. I mean, <clears throat> this is a... Proper. This is one of the best books. This is one of the best books written about cycling. And Matt has a lightness of touch uh, in this book, <clears throat> excuse me, that some of his really, really meticulously researched works, <clears throat> sorry, like The Life and Death of Marco Pantani, um, p- perhaps don't. So mm. this is um, both got that detail and that, that research, but it's so readable as well. And the way he recalls um, to the page an imagined conversation in particular, I think his dialogue is absolutely outstanding in this book. Mm. And um, the love, his love for the subject matter and his deep understanding for it just shines through on every page. It's well, great. I think that's, that's the brilliant. thing with him, with, with Matt and, and Columbia, is that he does feel Colombian. You know, and, and I say that in kind of in a way that he's, it's not that he's, he feels, literally feels Colombia. He's lived there for nearly 10 years, didn't he, back in the day, kind of yep. on and off. And, and he's got such a, a, a deep understanding of the country and culture and history. And as you say, more than the writers do, probably. Uh, yet they live it in a way that it's almost like in, in Spain, where you had the, the silencio, where you don't talk about the past. It's yeah. it's a kind of part of a cultural thing. So you can't. It's it, it's up to the outsiders to talk about it, because within the best thing to do is try and forget it. And that's why actually, and just jumping sideways, and that the the most respected uh, uh, literary historian in Spain is a is a British writer, Paul Preston. Because he's written the most incredible of of all of the twentieth century Spanish history, uh, because no Spaniard could ever do it. So it's a well, that's thing. a very good that's a very good point as well. That's mm. a very good point. But what you say there about the writers not being able to articulate it, but yet they're living it and feeling it, mm. is exactly the point that I've just read quite late on in the book. Actually, um, Matt is at the last edition of the Tour de, of Colombia, or the previous one, I can't remember, and he's at the finishing line and he catches up with Naira Quintana amidst all the flotsam and jetsam of a supermarket shopping mall and all the sort of like ethno, ethnic trinkets that they're selling for souvenirs of the Musca people and all this sort of thing. And Matt then quotes a, a bit of Antonio Gramsci in this book. <laughs> and, then, and then he says this, Nairo had never heard of Gramsci or his prison notebooks. His viewpoint came down from his own life experience, yet what he said what he said came down to the same thing. And then in Naira's words, two little remains to resurrect what we once were, he told him. Historical reconstruction for the purposes of tourism, sure, but it ends there. Wow. So it's not like Quintana isn't live to these things that Matt is talking about. He totally is. Um, Matt's yeah. just put the words on the page for him in, in some ways. Huh. Um, yeah, Useful. so it's a brilliant book. It's a brilliant book. I, I've got one more just weird thing about Lock. I mean, I've just been reading voraciously over the last few weeks, David, that I wanted to just mention to you. Um, I started reading a book I randomly bought on a whim and knew nothing about. And if I can share my screen here, um, it was this book. Okay. okay. Have you got that? Can you see that? Got it. How I Late like- It Was, How Late by James Kelman. And some ah. miserable sod on on the Waterstones page there has given it a three star review, which is uh, which is unfair. Okay, 
that tells the story. It's almost like one stream of consciousness without any punctuation. And it's an internal monologue. And it tells the story of a man in Glasgow who um, wakes up from a beating at the hands of the police and he's lost his sight. He's blind hmm. and he has to walk home blind and lives the rest of his life blind and cope with his blindness and everything. Amazing story. Um, anyway, I read that, loved it. And then just last night, I started reading, because I'm beginning to run out of books in this house. Um, I started reading, where is I, where have I put it? Oh no, where have I put it? Hold on. Um, bear with me, because it's really good this. Oh, here it is, here it is, here it is. I started reading this book by a Portuguese writer, um, Jose, this is famous, so lots of people will know this, I, I just didn't, Jose Saramago won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1998 for this and other books, and this book is called Blindness, huh. right? Yeah. And it tells, a it tells a story, it starts with this guy in his car, and there's a massive traffic jam building up behind him because he can't, suddenly he can't move because he's suddenly gone blind. And he has no idea why. And he's helped out of his car eventually and taken home. And the next day he goes to see a doctor and the doctor looks at him and says, there's nothing wrong with you. I can't see anything wrong with your eyes. How can you be blind? And the doctor then goes home after this consultation. And I'm not, this isn't spoiling the story, I don't think. And the doctor suddenly goes blind. Huh, and the amazing. doctor realizes that this blindness, which he can't understand, might be contagious. And... He makes a phone call to the Ministry of Health and this escalates all the way up to the minister who immediately sends an ambulance round to his house and he and the original guy who was blind and a couple of others who've been infected are taken into quarantine and locked down in an empty asylum, right? The government regrets having been forced to exercise with all urgency what it considers to be its rightful duty to protect the population by all possible means in this present crisis when something with all the appearance of an epidemic has broken out and we are relying on the public spirit and cooperation of all citizens to stem any further contagion, assuming that we are dealing with a contagious disease and that we are not simply witnessing a series of as yet inexplicable coincidences. The decision to gather together in one place all those infected and in adjacent but separate quarters all those who have any kind of contact with them was not taken without careful consideration. There you go. Wasn't there a film or something and made about that? There was some... And I had no idea that that was the book I was about to start reading, but it could not be more. On that last, I was just looking for it now. But if you want a, a beautiful book um, about a first person uh, and blindness, it's Stephen Cusisto, Planet of the Blind. I read it probably twenty years ago, and it haunted me. It's haunted me ever since, in the sense of just somebody and losing their sight beautifully written yep. one of the most beautiful books i've ever i've ever read and one that's i can it gave me an empathy for blindness that i'll never lose and thanks to that book so stephen Cusisto, planet of the blind wow mm. well there you go there you go a little bit of book stuff so yes the bookshelves are real yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are i'm feeling a bit embarrassed about my so by the way i've got there as well there's my so that's all chaos really yeah, but this go. is in fact this is my spare room here where um i think matt rendell wrote large sections of columbia espacion <laughs> sitting at this desk during one of his very, very long, long stays quotes, at my house dig, digging them out of your bookshelves 
<laughs> yeah. In fact, he scratched off it in the desk here. Um, oh, so there we go. Right, well, very good. That was good. That was I mean, fun. let's I see how that. that goes down. Let's let, let's see how that goes down with the Never Strays Far podcast people. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. That was a good mix. We there. ask a lot of them, don't we? We do. We but ask a lot of them. them. Yeah, it's Bless just letting them. them into our kind of our heads a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Do you think we're going to be commentating on any bike racing this year, David? I'm going with the yes Danish no. proverb. I'm, uh, I'm going to go no for now. Yeah. That's my gut right. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. But that's only just because it just, I, yeah. If it's a 50, I say, I said to somebody yesterday, it's 50 50. And so, in other words, no idea, flip a coin. It's, flip a coin. There's, flip a there's coin. no point. There's literally, I think it's flip a coin at the moment, whether it happens or not. So. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ned. Have a good one, mate. Speak to you soon. Bye. See you, bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 